Today's workplace podcast disclaimer, JT Wilson. This podcast is intended to provide general information about various recent developments in employment law and human resources best practices. Nothing in this presentation or in the comments of Ms. Johnson, Ms. Shannon, or any guest should be considered as the rendering of legal or other professional advice, and it is not directed at any specific cases or circumstances. Listeners are responsible for obtaining the necessary advice about their specific situations from their own counsel. These materials are intended for educational and informational purposes only. The presentation and these materials represent the opinions of the participants and not those of their law firms or companies. No part of these materials may be printed, photocopied, or otherwise reproduced, recorded, or stored, or transmitted in any form and by any means, electronic, mechanical, or otherwise, without the prior written permission of today's workplace podcast. Welcome to today's workplace, a podcast created to keep employers current on the latest employment law trends while providing proactive solutions to the everyday issues arising in today's rapidly changing workplace. Is your business prepared for today's workplace? Let's find out with your hosts, Barbara Johnson and Belinda Reed Shannon. On today's workplace for over a year, we have focused much of our attention on the diversity, equity, and inclusion, including DEI in the legal profession. Today, we are very fortunate to have Leslie Davis join us. A little about Leslie. Leslie D. Davis is a respected leader, experienced advocate, and local strategist who has been a tireless champion for equity in the legal profession. As the Chief Executive Officer of the National Association of Minority and Women-Owned Law Firm Incorporated called NAMWOLF, Leslie is uniquely aligned with NAMWOLF's mission, having been a law firm partner in Rainmaker, all while successfully negotiating the challenges that come with being a woman of color in the corporate legal profession. For over two decades, Leslie has served as lead counsel for many jury trials, bench trials, and arbitrations, obtaining favorable verdicts for her clients in complex and high-stakes cases. Leslie's contagious energy and valuable insight mixed with her natural talent has been her formula for success. Comfortable and assured with a special brand of no-nonsense is what makes Leslie a favored litigator, a trusted advisor, and an effective leader. Welcome to today's Workplace, Leslie. We are delighted to have you join us. We've heard an overview of your career, but let's take a closer look at your career path. Tell us about your educational background and how it came about that you went to law school. So first, thank you all for having me. I'm really glad to be here and I appreciate uh, the opportunity. As for law school, so I went to the University of Iowa I actually went to the University of Iowa for all my degrees. So I am a Hawkeye through and through. And how it came to be that I went to law school was I was at the University of Iowa studying journalism and mass communication. And I was tasked with covering the courts for the Daily Iowan, which is the newspaper that I wrote for while I was an undergrad. And so I loved it. And what I found is that while I was in the courtroom covering the cases, I'd be so engrossed in what was happening that I would find that I'd have to hurry up and figure out enough uh, to write for my story. And so it, it, it 
then I got bit by the trial bug then. And it, and it occurred to me that what I might want to do is instead of writing about the, the happenings in the courtroom is to be a part of and to be a lawyer. And so that was my first introduction really to the law and to what uh, trials were like. And so I was really um, very excited after then. And then I decided to go to law school. And so that was really how it happened. So as a law, as a partner in a major law firm, you were in verified air. Uh, the reality in, in is according to a report issued by the National Association of Law Placement, NALP. They said that in 2020, the percentage of Black associates surpassed 5% for the first time. Black women associates were 3.04% and finally exceeded their figure of 2.93 uh, from 2009. But despite these increases, Black women's representation at the associate level has increased by just one-tenth of a percentage mm -hmm. point over the past 11 years. The percentage of Black partners overall finally surpassed 2% for the first time since NALP began collecting data. The percentage of equity partners of color rose from 4.4% in 2019 to 4.5% in 2020. Black equity partners represent less than 1% of law firm equity partners, likely far less than 1%. So tell us about your journey to law firm partner and what was your first job right after law school? So those statistics are alarming. And unfortunately they have not changed much since I began practicing law 20 plus years ago, as you can tell from the um, low percentages. When I began practicing, what well, my first job was at Core TV. When I finished law school, I went right to Court TV. That was when the O.J. Simpson trial was happening. So it was a magical time to be at Court TV. There were lots of great, fantastic lawyers who were a part of that trial and who were doing the commentary. So I was able to meet, you know, Johnny Cochran and Ethley Bailey and Robert Shapiro and, and all these great lawyers. And even the lawyers who were doing the commentating were just wonderful. And so it was a great way to start my career. And, um, but when I realized that I wanted to, well, I was in New York at that point, when I realized I wanted to come back to Illinois, back to Chicago and start practicing in earnest, because then I was doing online production and legal analysis for a, a live television show. So you were, leftist. so you were reporting when you worked for court TV, you were a legal reporter. No, I wasn't. I was doing online editing because I have a, a degree in journalism, mass communications and a master's. And then I was doing legal analysis for the talent at the time, Terry Moran, mm. who is still a White House correspondent, I think for yeah. ABC, but he wasn't a lawyer. And so truthfully, I got my first um, dose of what it means to be doing two jobs for one salary, because <laughs> I was really doing two jobs and getting paid a half of a salary. Uh, and I say that because one, I was brand new, brand new lawyer, right? So you can't command a lot of, a lot of um, money and everybody wanted to be at Core TV. So if you were unhappy, there was a thousand or 2000 or more <laughs> resumes of people who would be happy to take your job for free. So it, it was just, a, but it was a great experience and opportunity. I would do it all over again if I had the, the, the chance. So that was my first foray into 
any kind of job. That was the first job I really had after school because I went straight through. And then when I decided I wanted to really practice in earnest, I was already licensed in Illinois, not in New York. I came back to Illinois to then really start being a trial lawyer, to really start practicing and not doing this kind of hybrid thing. And so I had a stint at a, a small firm and a, and, a, and a captive firm for insurance defense before I then went to um, large law firm life uh, and started at Sunshine Nath and Rosenthal, which is where I pretty grew up. I pretty much grew up in the law because I was mm-hmm. there for 14 years. Wow. Uh, and so was able to go from associate to partner to equity partner. And so kind of ran the gamut there while I was uh, there. And so had seen a lot, learned a lot, grew a lot, experienced a lot. And then from there was at two different firms and before I came to Namwolf. And so I have had a lot of experience with uh, large law firms. And what I would say is that some of it has been good and some of it has not been so good. So I still have many people who I consider friends who have mentored me uh, and who have helped me along the way at those firms, not all of whom look like myself. They were, they, I certainly had white male sponsors and other people who looked out for me and who gave me great candid feedback. But I can also say that there was oftentimes where I could see that I was not given the same opportunities that some of my white male counterparts were given or the benefit of the doubt, or chosen to be a part of certain cases or teams. And I don't know that it was always because I was young and and Black or a woman, but I just was not the preferred. People were not as comfortable. They didn't know me as well. They didn't believe they had anything in common with me. Or they thought that the client wanted to see somebody with a different profile other than mine. And so there were always a lot of different things at play that I was always keenly aware of. And, you know, oftentimes there was not a lot of, I, that I could do about it. And so for those folks who, you know, chose to be comfortable and, and not courageous and not thoughtful and intentional, then it didn't work out so well. And, but it was always a continuous struggle and a continuous fight. Because when you don't have anybody who really looks like yourself and you don't have people within the firm who are champions, who are African-American or woman, it does make the road a lot harder because oftentimes I was the only or one of a few. And so that's not very comfortable uh, place to to be in lots of times. You know, the numbers are appalling. They continue to be appalling. The needle doesn't seem to move very much. And it seems like first we need to just be honest about what the barriers are and the obstacles are. Mm -hmm. So based on, you know, based on your experience, based on your observations, what do you see as the greatest barriers to law firms when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion, especially for people of color? Ooh, there's a lot of barriers, I think. I just, you know, kind of building on what I said a minute ago. And when you say, let's be very transparent, I do think that for a lot of people, thinking about how to put this in the, in the politically correct way, that for, I'll say Black women, right? I'm a Black woman. I've been a Black woman for as long as I can remember. Um, I think that for some people, choosing to work, you know, hand in hand with a Black woman is uncomfortable or daunting for them. 
maybe one, because they don't really have many people in their life who look like me, or they have some ideas of stereotypes about the angry black woman or the aggressive black woman or the you know, black woman who's opinionated and, and won't just do like she's told. Um, that you know, those stereotypes that, that are pervasive in our um, community that make people feel like, hmm, if I just work with somebody who you know, I'm just more comfortable with, then it makes things easier. Most people don't, I don't think, get up in the morning and say, let me do something that I know I'm uncomfortable with. Let me do something that's different, that's better, that's courageous. I don't know that everybody does that. Uh, and so from my perspective, you know, working with a diverse team or diverse lawyers or women, doesn't mean that you, you are doing something that is risky or that is questionable. In fact, in my opinion, if you don't have diversity on your team, it's almost malpractice because the truth of the matter is, is that as lawyers, we solve problems. And it's just pure math. If you have a diversity of perspective, uh, upbringings, educational backgrounds, ways of looking at the universe, if you have that, you exponentially increase the possible outcomes, good outcomes for your client. So if you're not willing to be a smidgen uncomfortable or get out of your comfort zone in order to do what's best for your client, then you're not being a good lawyer. And so it's not as if anybody is asking uh, anybody to work with somebody who is not talented or educated or capable. Of course not. You can't cut it at most places, not just large law firms, but at most law firms, if you don't have a certain level of skill and talent. But once you get beyond that and you start talking about really wanting to do what's best for your client, then you have to be willing to work with diverse lawyers. And that will include some Black women lawyers. And so I think the barriers really are comfortability. People like what they like, they want what they want, and they like to be with people who look like themselves. And so unless we're really honest with each other and say, look, that's just not doing the best for my client, um, then it's problematic. I, I use the example a lot. Um, like I, I like margaritas. I like to hang out with people who like margaritas. I think the day or two ago, it was National Margarita Day. And my friends who like margaritas, we went out because we like margaritas. But when your preference um, then turns into a bias where you don't believe that there's anybody else who adds value or can you know, have anything to offer except the folks that you prefer, then that's when preference leads to discrimination, to mm -hmm. bias, and to incumbency bias. And so there's a fine line there. And I think people have to really think about whether they're walking that line correctly or if their preference really is discrimination. Yeah, you said quite a bit there, Leslie. <laughs> and there, there's definitely a message there that, that the ones in the back need to hear. Um, <laughs> so um, one of the things I wanted to ask you is about the summer of justice, social justice in 2020. We all observe corporations taking a much more elevated view of diversity and inclusion after that summer of social justice. And I was wondering if you could talk to us about how that response from corporations impacted corporate legal departments and their engagement with minority and women-owned law firms and or just the experience of minority and women lawyers who may have been in large firms. How did it impact them? So 
I'll take on the first part of the question as it relates to the summer of impact. So when I took on this role, it was it was almost a year ago uh, now. And I can tell you from the very beginning, when I came to NAMWAR, there were many corporations who were reaching out to me, and they still are, to say, look, we understand there is no neutral zone, that either we are part of the solution or we're part of the problem. And while we value diversity, we haven't been really able to kind of get in there and, and, and do the things that we, we know we want to do and that we need to do. And so I have seen a lot of engagement by corporations who maybe already had a diversity program or had diversity in their, you know, in, in their site, but hadn't really gotten over the hump of really doing it. And they are engaged and they are engaging our law firms and they are saying, hey, coach, put me in the game. We are ready. We know that we want to do this. Where do we kind of get in and what are the entry points and what makes sense and how can you help us do this in a way that is successful? Because everybody understands that you can't just throw people in who maybe don't know the business or don't uh, know that this is the way in which a company runs or have a real entry point. You got to make sure that people are going to succeed. And so I see a lot of effort um, from corporations to make sure that they are doing it and doing it right in terms of diversity and getting minority and and women um, law firms involved. And so that's great. Uh, Could there be more? Absolutely. Do I want to see more engagement? Absolutely. Um, But I do see uh, a good amount and I see there are people in the pipelines who want to continue to to do more. So that's great. Um, As it relates to, I think, overall um, corporate legal departments and, and law firms, again, um, corporate legal departments, there they, they are people who were involved in diversity efforts um, at different levels, but now I see more of the leadership getting involved and more mm-hmm. of a green light from the leadership to engage with organizations just like Nam Wolf or to hire um, other minority and women-owned law firms and making a real commitment, a dollar commitment, which matters to say we want to have X number of dollars of spend over the next year or three years. That is very meaningful because when leadership gets involved in that way, then it trickles down and everybody else recognizes that it's not just something they should consider, but that they must consider. And that's great for for outside lawyers, for for minority and women owned law firms. And it's also good for others in, I think even in majority firms, because if, and majority firms will say that they understand diversity and they are interested in it, well, now they have a real opportunity to also put their money where their mouth is. And so they too should be looking at um, hiring and investing in minority and women who are in their uh, organizations. And so in my view, all boats rise with the tide when everybody is really being thoughtful and intentional. And so you know, it's way too soon for me to say that we're at high tide. I would not say that at all, um, but it does seem to me that that since the summer, um, when George Floyd and all of that happened, there has been some progress. We do need more, but I, I, I do think there has been some progress. It's really good to hear about the outreach that you've experienced from corporations who seem to be perhaps for the first time really engaged around this topic. So would you say that you're encouraged by what you're seeing? Because one of my mantras has been, you know, is this a moment or a movement? And, mm-hmm. and what are your thoughts there? 
Ooh, so I am encouraged that I can say full stop. I am encouraged. Whether this is a moment or a movement. So, you know, I've been in this DEI space for a while, you know, just in my own career and the like. Uh, and I have seen ebbs and flows. I have seen moments where it seemed like we were on the right track and things are going to just continue to go up. And then out of nowhere, it was like diversity went away and it was not on anybody's mind. So I've seen that enough times to be cynical and to be worried a little bit about whether or not this is just another ebb and flow. But what I do find hope in is that I, I, I do think that there is enough of a movement that there are um, the, the younger generations and the people coming behind us um, are focused and understand that it has to be a real movement. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm just a hopeful person in general. I, you know, I believe all things work together for the good. And so in my mind, I feel like, you know, it's a good thing and that we should just, but we should absolutely continue to push forward. We can't rest on our laurels or think that it will continue to go well if we just kind of stem the tide. We have to keep pushing and we have to keep holding everybody accountable in order, I think, for everything to continue to move ahead. I don't think we're at a point where we can just relax and say, oh, yes, things are where they should be and they're moving ahead and we're good. I don't believe that. I think I'm, I'm in that boat. <laughs> <laughs> so, Leslie, you were a successful law firm partner, and I'd like to explore a little bit more about why you decided to join NAMWOLF. Um, but first, tell us about the organization. What is NAMWOLF? How's it organized? And then tell us a little bit about the history of the organization. Then tell us what made you join. Oh, great. Great. Thank you. So NAMWOLF, we celebrate 20 years. We celebrated really last year, but we're going to keep the party going because we didn't really get a chance to celebrate because of the pandemic. So NAMWOLF is, is, is 20 years old and it's a organization, a non-for-profit non legal trade organization that has 205 law firms, over 42 states. So we cover a large geographical area, almost the entire U.S., including the Caribbean and Alaska. Alaska is the U.S., but Hawaii and and. Um, some firms are now reaching out into Europe. And so basically the, the, the beauty of NAMWOLF is that the mission is to increase the utilization of minority and women-owned law firms. That is our whole mission. And so everything that I do uh, and, and most of what we do at NAMWOLF is geared toward increasing that utilization. And so um, while I am meeting with corporations and we have you know, over, you know, 200 plus corporations who are part of NAMWOLF as well. We are our corporate partners. We have business partners who, you know, provide legal services. And so the firms, once they're vetted and they're, they're vetted rigorous vetting process through the certifying bodies and having to have a certain level of insurance and certain number of people in the firm. And we do interviews with three references from Fortune 500 companies. So we've done the legwork. We do the heavy lift. And so by the time anybody says, hey, I think I'm interested in utilizing a NAMWOL firm, you know, our firms are who they say they are because they've been vetted and, and they, are, they are qualified. Many of our lawyers are folks who have been in large law firms and who have just decided they want to practice in a different way, that they want to be with like-minded people who care about diversity and who are excellent and they want to be 
uh, maybe in a smaller in environment or just in an environment that's more conducive to the way that they want to practice. But it doesn't mean that they don't have the same skill set that they had when they were at other places, including large law firms, and that they, they bring definitely a level of, of quality and excellence that is the same as any other law firm would, would, yeah. would bring. And so that's NAMWA in a nutshell. As for me, the reason why I was interested in coming to Wolf was, you know, at that part of my career, I've been in private practice for 20 plus years. And I really felt that there was more that I could do to make a difference for lawyers just like myself, who had been in the grind for a long time, you know, seeking business, getting business, holding on to that business, getting more business, wanting a seat at the table. And so, you know, that is an ominous test. And I've been doing that for a long time and been doing it well. But I just felt when this opportunity became available, I thought, hmm, this might be a great way for you to do something bigger on a bigger platform to help more people. And so while I enjoy practicing law and I miss the trial work a bit, I really like the ability to really help larger numbers of folks because I've been helping people all along in my whole career, but in this way, I've not been able to make this kind of an impact uh, in yeah. my career. And so this is exciting. And this is the part of NAMWF that I really love, that I'm able to make a bigger impact for more people. I love that. So what role does NAMWF play in improving diversity and equity and inclusion? Well, mostly by ensuring that minority and women-owned law firms are utilized. And so as we increase the utilization of minority and women-owned law firms, we are effectively increasing, um, I think, the diversity in our profession. Because part of what any lawyer needs who is doing this as their livelihood, they need to make money. They need to be employed. They need to be engaged in matters. And so when we are able to have that happen for our NAMWOL firms, that is having a greater effect on not just NAMWOLF, but on the utilization of the firms, which trickles down to you know, the, the benefit it has to families. And so from my perspective, I feel, and maybe this is a little Pollyannish, but you know, every time we're able to increase the engagement for our minority or women-owned law firms, we are doing good for our families, for our community, for the communities that we come from and that we serve. And so in that way, we're not, it's not just myopic that it's just making more money for the law firms, which is important, but it's also providing, you know, um, um, opportunities for the families that are behind those lawyers as well. Right. That's great. So you, you're talking a lot about the lawyers, um, the, the law firm lawyers, whether it be their own law firm or those, uh, you know, who are uh, still with the bigger law firms, but tell me a little bit more about in-house counsel. What role do they play with Nam Wolf and, you know, how do they connect in? Well, our in-house counsel are really an important part of Nam Wolf, a very important part. They are our thought partners. They sponsor us. They provide sponsorship dollars that help us to put on our meetings where we are able to bring in-house counsel together with our law firms so that it's not just um, a CLEs, which we do provide those too, but it's a real chance to network. And for the in-house counsel 
to learn more about the firms, to have a chance to network with them, talk with them, see them in action, maybe at CLEs, and get to know them and, and vice versa for our law firms. And so we we rely on our, our corporate partners a lot. They They are our backbone in the sense that they are the ones that hire our firms. And so without them, it would be very difficult for NAMWOLF to exist because the reason why we come together as NAMWOLF is so that our firms can be considered and can be engaged and can get to know uh, in-house counsel and governmental institutions and universities and others who have legal spend. And so they are a huge part of it. In-house counsel does not have to pay to be a part of NAMWOLF, which I think is a great benefit to in-house lawyers. But we do look to them to be on our PAC committees, our practice area committees, to be a part of our advisory council. Uh, We have many in-house lawyers who are really active in NAMWOLF and who really serve as thought partners with with us and sponsors. So they're important for sure. Well, as counsel with a a NAMWOLF firm, I know you have some meetings coming up. Yes. Um, and if you want to um, tell us a little bit about some of the activities of NAMWOF, you mentioned meetings um, a moment ago. How does, you know, what are some of the activities? How does NAMWOF go about its business? So we have two big meetings a year. Our Driving Diversity Leadership Conference is coming up March 5th through 8th. So next week. So um, and, and if you still want to come, it's not too late, but it's going to be in San Antonio. And coming from Chicago, I cannot wait to get to San Antonio. (laughs) But it's going to be a great opportunity to to come together. We've not been able to have an in-person meeting with everybody coming together for two years because of the pandemic. So last year, this conference got canceled. And then in the fall, our annual meeting was virtual. And so this is our first in-person meeting in two years. So it's going to be a great time for everybody to come together and reconnect or get to know new people. Certainly I'm new and I will be getting to know folks, having an opportunity for in-house counsel and our law firms to come together and put their heads together as to meaningful ways that they can engage. There will be uh, opportunities for law firms to do mock pitches in our Pitch Perfect program and get some feedback from in-house lawyers. And there'll be some fun. Obviously, there'll be some some opportunities to have some fun as well. So it'll be a great opportunity to really do the work of NAMWOLF and to have great networking uh, opportunities. We also have our annual meeting, which is coming up in the fall. It'll be in Chicago. Uh, It's coming up in September. I think it's September 18th to the 22nd. And that will be, that's our bigger meeting. It will be the first time that we'll be able to be, be in person again for our annual meeting in, in a couple of years. It's going to be in my hometown. So I'm excited about that. Chicago is a phenomenal place, especially when it's not in the winter. And so uh, it's going to be even a, a bigger opportunity. We expect more people at that meeting, though our meeting in, in San Antonio will be very robust. We have over 200 people coming, but for our, our annual meeting in the fall, I'm expecting, you know, even more people because folks who can't make it to San Antonio for varieties of reasons, including some people who are still not traveling, are setting their their sights on September thinking that, you know, they will be able to 
um, travel again, that their companies will allow travel, they will feel more comfortable traveling. And so it's going to be a great opportunity. And so those are our two major ways of connecting. But we have a team that on a daily basis, our cadence is to make sure that we are connecting lawyers with corporations. And so we obviously don't wait until the annual meetings for that to happen or the the spring meeting for that to happen. It happens every day. It's just that's a good culmination of all those activities that come together at those events. Great. Maybe we can grab a margarita in San Antonio. How's that? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. That real good. Count me <laughs> in. <laughs> so you, you mentioned a couple of times, Leslie, that you've been with NAMWOLF now for a year. Mm-hmm. I'd like to know a little bit about what's your go forward vision for NAMWOLF, especially this side of the pandemic, this side of the summer of social justice. What's, what's the vision? So lots of people have asked me what, what my vision is, and I have tried to think of something really interesting and sexy to say that would be perfect. And the truth of the matter is, is our mission is so narrow. Our mission is really to increase the utilization of minority and women-owned law firms, full stop. That my vision is really just aligned with that mission, because everything that I am doing, the conversations that I'm having, I've had over a 150 conversations with corporations already, all the meetings that I'm involved with, the networking, the podcasts, the articles, all of those things are really designed to get the message out that, you know, our NAMWOL firms, you know, are qualified. They are worthy of being looked at for important engagements, for meaningful work. And so, you know, my vision is to really increase that utilization to have it be increased in such a way that our firms really feel the impact and they see the real value of coming together in an intentional way through NAMWOLF um, to increase that utilization and ultimately see that it's impacting the, the numbers in our profession, in our beloved profession. And so beyond that, there's not much else because that is really our mission and that is what I am trying to do on a daily basis. So how does someone who wants to learn more about NAMWOLF consider hiring a NAMWOLF firm? How do they connect with the organization? So it's really pretty easy to connect with us. Um, you, you can email me or anybody on the team. You can go to our website and um, follow up with us there. On the website, you can see our corporate counsel guide. It has all of our law firm's name there. You can look through that guide. That's probably a more cumbersome way to do it. The easier way is to just contact myself or there any member of the team. Renika Allen from our team is the one who really is tasked with making sure that all of our law firms are connected in the ways that they need to be with our corporations. And so if you have a request or a question or you want to know if a, if a firm can do certain things or which firms can handle certain matters, just reach out to us and we will make those connections and those introductions. We are a conduit, not a barrier. We don't want to make it cumbersome. I recognize that building relationships can take time and that can be harder and and a little more cumbersome. But just reaching out to NAMWOLF, we're easy. You can reach out to us and we're happy to help in any way that we can. You know, My full-time job and the team's job really is to make sure that these connections are being made. So we don't mind at all 
doing the heavy lifting to make the connection and to find out, you know, which firms can do what and who is really a good fit because we want to make sure that that happens. So, and then lastly, on the website, you can fill out a form, which also goes to Renika to say, this is the matter. This is what you need. This is the expertise. This is the geographical area or whatever it is. Uh, and we get back to you that way. And we'll make sure that the information about your website is on our Today's Workplace podcast website as well. Yeah, that's good information to know. So Leslie, what are three takeaways for our listeners? What thoughts would you like for our listeners to think about as they consider the issue of DEI in the legal profession and think about NAMWOLF? So in terms of takeaways, I guess I would say one takeaway for sure is you have to be intentional. And being intentional is a good thing. It doesn't mean that you are being um, discriminatory against anybody else. It doesn't mean that you're uh, engaging in affirmative action or something like that. Being intentional about the teams that you are putting together and the way those teams look, not just from a, an ethnic or gender perspective, but, but from a diversity of backgrounds, education, experiences, um, uh, the way, you know, even geographical. I think the more you are intentional about what you're doing, the more you will see that you really are doing the best for clients, that clients deserve to have diverse teams who can bring a wide variety of possible solutions to any problem they have. And so I encourage everybody to be thoughtful and intentional about their teams, which will necessarily mean that you're having a diverse team. I guess the other couple of takeaways are just that it's not that hard. It's really not that hard. It's, it's just a matter of understanding that you want to do what's best for your client. Uh, and even if you're not sold on the idea that it's just a good thing to do or it's a reflection of what our broader society is, if you're just wanting to be a good lawyer, then it's not hard to think about doing what's best for your client. And if you do that, then diversity is right there on, to, on the top. And I guess the last takeaway as it relates to Wolf is just that, and I, and I say this because it, this has been my experience, that you can find all kinds of excuses for not wanting to engage new firms. Whatever the excuse is, it's out there. But uh, excuses are useless tools of incompetence. And so don't let those excuses stand in your way from doing what's great for your clients. You, you know, our firms are talented. They you know, have taken on some of the major cases in this country, including the, I would say the, 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 the case that was the biggest in, uh, and of course the last 20 years was the Derek Chauvin trial. And regardless of your politics and what you believe was right or wrong in that case, mm -hmm. um, it was clearly a huge case. The whole world was watching. And there was a lot of concern about what the fallback would be, you know, depending on how the, the, the case turned out. And it was a Namwolf lawyer, Jerry Blackwell, who and his firm, who was tapped to do that case uh, because he was a and still is a great lawyer. And it was another African-American man who said, look, this is the best lawyer I know. And this is the person I'm going to tap for this case. And so, you know, he was magnificent. But you know, I just use that as an example. But we have so many magnificent lawyers that if they were given the opportunity and the chance, they could show the whole world, like Jerry did, that they are more than capable, that they are great, that they are 
that they are phenomenal. And so give them the opportunity to shine just as many other lawyers have been given the opportunity to, to shine throughout the years. Leslie, thank you so much for joining us on today's workplace. Um, you are delightful, inspirational, and your enthusiasm and energy is contagious. So we wish you well in your role at NAMWA as its CEO, and I'll be looking for you to find a time to get that margarita. Yes, so thank yes. You. Thank looking you forward. So thank you again for having me. I really appreciate this opportunity. Yeah, thank, thank, you. You. thank you, Leslie. You've been listening to Today's Workplace with Barbara Johnson and Belinda Reed Shannon. If you like what you heard, click subscribe so you don't miss out on future updates and episodes.